This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I guess, I guess we could pray. <laughs> we just want to say thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. We just want to say thank you. We just want to say we appreciate you, Holy Spirit. We appreciate you moving a whole church just to tell me that I'm not lonely anymore or ever have to be lonely again. Jesus' name. So the, the point of this message is to show you how not alone you are. <laughs> Ah, woo, God. Thank you, God. So um, with, with big God words, I always have trouble like trying to teach it and like break, break it down and like try to present it, right? So I'm just going to express myself. Is that okay? Can I just express myself with you guys? Um, I used to struggle a lot with uh, cooking, how many of you guys cook? How many of you guys chef it up? Gordon Ramsay style. Good job for you guys. So I used to be so afraid to go out there and cook because if I ever cooked, I was scared I was going to burn the whole house down and burn everything down, right? And then I got along with my father and my spiritual father. And then he, I had found out that I was a creative. So I was trying to find different ways to express myself. And he told me, he was like, Rafa, do you cook? And I was like, I have a fear of cooking. And he was like, you know, it's just another way to express yourself. And I was like, man, something about not getting it perfect, but being willing to go and take the risk to express myself. Even though if everything will fall apart, even if I'm trying to follow the recipe to a T and I want more butter than just a little bit of butter that the recipe's selling me. Are you guys with me? And, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's exactly what happened with this teaching that I'm going to give you guys. I, for the whole month and a half, I'm like, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? And everybody will come to me and they're like, Rafa, you live righteousness. And I was like, that's cool, but like, it's hard now because I don't know how to put what I'm living into words. Do you guys ever struggle? No, just me. When it's like, I have something and I do it every day. And someone was like, well, can you, can you put it in a piece of paper and give me points in a poem? And it's like, oh, I wish I could, but I just naturally do it because I look like my father, right? I express myself like my father. Like now I make ribeye steaks because I love having fun with it. And now I throw extra rosemary and extra garlic. That's why you like my ribeyes because I'm expressing myself rather than thinking I'm doing something wrong and failing. And plan B is always we get pizza, right? That's always plan B. So with this plan B is we read the Bible. <laughs> Are you guys still with me? Okay, good. I just wanted to share my heart with you guys. So this is what God gave me for righteousness, right? I try to look up all the definitions in Hebrew and Greek and God was like, can you just talk to me so I can tell you the whole point of righteousness? And I was like, that sounds really good, Holy Spirit. That's way better than leaning into my own understanding. I'm going to lean into yours. What do you want to do? And he, he made it so simple. He said, righteousness is the opposite of sin. And it's so funny because like, we all know what sin is. We know it down to a T. You're a sinner if you do this. You sin if you did this. Adam did this, so therefore there is sin, right? Sin, 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 sin. So for, if we're so good at knowing what sin is, then we just need to be the opposite. Or really, we're just the opposite of what sin is or what we're told we did wrong. Is that too simple? And so it hit me. I was like, okay, righteousness means that there's no sin. And, and a few definitions I know of sin, it just means that I'm not separated. I'm not, I'm not there with God in this moment doing this thing, right? There's an area of my life that I need to invite God into that area. Does that make sense? And so righteousness means I'm never alone. It means that I try to, for me, sin means I try to tackle this situation without the help of my father. And therefore I feel the way that I feel. I feel dirty and unclean and 
shame. I feel isolated. I feel alone. Say alone. Sin brings us to isolation. And it's different. It's different than I'm going to go home and, and have alone time. That's completely different. Alone is when no one here cares about me. Alone, loneliness brings fear. And we'll get into it in Romans 8. But be, before I keep going, I, I, I want to read this quote that someone sent me today out of all days. <laughs> Are you ready? It's the biggest disease is not leprosy or TB. It is loneliness. It is being rejected. It is forgetting joy, love, and the human touch. And this is a quote from Mother Teresa. And uh, the, the person explained it to me. Uh, um, she told me that what would happen with these leprosies was the, the disease that they had on them wasn't the, the problem. The problem was that nobody wanted to be around them because of how they felt and how they looked. So they weren't allowed to go into hospitals so Mother Teresa actually built these houses out in the field. And it was saying, they said, you're welcome here. Come here. We'll come together. Because no man is meant to be alone. I don't know. That, that just moved me a lot. And so I started thinking about, well, how do we obtain righteousness? How, how did we get righteousness? And bef- before I tell you how we did it, because it was the guy we were singing about, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I want to read Romans 8. Are you guys ready? This is in New King James. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Say Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Uh, it's funny. It doesn't say who, those who are in Rafael Gutierrez. <laughs> it didn't say your name. It didn't say your works. It says those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law, bless you. For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, say free, from the law of sin and death, from the law of loneliness. Oh, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son, say Jesus Christ. It was God's idea for you not to be alone. So he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So that means that Jesus defeated loneliness in the flesh. And we'll read about how he did that later. Verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. I love that word spirit because it just means that this is, this is something that is of God and he put inside of you <laughs> and he chose to call it his spirit. Did you guys catch that? Oh, yay. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, verse seven, because of the carnal mind is enemy against God, because all we knew was loneliness when we were first born into this world. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Verse eight, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That means you are a part of God. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. That means you are alone doesn't mean he hates you. (laughs) It means you're alone. You're doing this by yourself. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) But the spirit is life because of togetherness, not being alone. 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, say he dwells in me. 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, which is we're not, we don't owe us being alone anything. 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I love this. Are you guys ready? This is the whole point, the whole reason I wanted to read all that. 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Say sons. Here we go. 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Let me finish it and then we'll break that down. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And we get so excited with the Abba, Father part, but I really want to hit the fear and the adoption part. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So I've just been in this whole thing with like righteousness and sin and the opposite of that. So I was like, what, 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 what is fear? What does fear mean? And I looked up some definitions and fear means the willies, the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> the heebie-jeebies, that cracks me up. That made me laugh so much because I'm like, is that all fear really is? The heebie-jeebies? Another word for it is terror. Ooh, now, now we're scared. Terror is scared. But really terror is just the heebie-jeebies. Is God not bigger than the heebie-jeebies? So is God not bigger than terror? Are you guys, are you guys catching that? Are you guys, okay, hold on to that. Let me turn the AC on because I'm sweating. Are you guys sweating? I don't know what's up with spring. It's like we're hot in the morning and cold at night. But no heebie-jeebies in the name of G. Oh, we're going to get some, a little, I guess we'll get a little bit of heebie-jeebies with the AC. Are you guys Okay. I mean, we're family today, right? I mean, I know it's a school, but we're, we're, we're family today, right? 72, you guys good with 72? 72 in here is different than 72 in your house, okay? All right, say God, no heebie-jeebies. Come on. So God is bigger than heebie-jeebies. So then how come we fall into bondage for fear and terror? Oh. I love you. Adoption. I love this. I love how he said adoption. So... <laughs> So he didn't give us the spirit of the heebie-jeebies or terror, right? The opposite of fear is actually confidence. Oh, he actually gave us confidence. But you receive the spirit of adoption. Adoption, I love this. Are you ready? Adoption is the opposite of abandonment. Adoption is the opposite of someone giving up on you. Adoption is the opposite of being left. Adoption is the opposite of someone leaving you behind. Adoption is the opposite of renouncing when someone has renounced you. Adoption is the opposite of someone giving up and quitting on you. So Jesus, that's what I'm understanding. Jesus never gives up on you. Come on, only two people. Come on. Is everybody else submitting to the (laughs) heebie-jeebies? Or or are we tucked under the anointing of the Father? Are we tucked under the spirit of adoption? Under the spirit that never gives up on us? Jesus never leaving us. Jesus never forsaking us. Never renouncing us. Jesus never quitting on us. So that means whatever you did today, God has not quit on you. God has adopted you. Oh my gosh, come on, let's go. Before you even sung the songs and you didn't feel worthy to sing the songs, Jesus said, I have adopted you. The, the best picture I had for adoption was my grandma. You guys know I love my grandma. You guys heard me say, who doesn't love a good grandma? 
You know, she'd be giving you chocolate and like $100 bills. And I'm like, grandma. And she was like, don't worry, I'm on Medicare. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Make me feel better. I don't even know what Medicare is. <laughs> I'm just playing. I know what it is now. Um, I wanted to put a picture of, of her and I because I really wanted you to see the picture that God gave me, okay? Um, but anyways, so with uh, my grandma, the reason I love her so much is because uh, by the, from age one all the way to age five, I lived with her in Central America right, in Guatemala. My mom came to the United States. She immigrated up here um, to chase the American dream, you know, make sure we didn't starve and die to death. That's a pretty great mom. I love her a lot. So when I was with my grandma, she had to legally adopt me. So on paper, she had to say, I have custody of Rafael Edgardo Gutierrez Lemus, right? That's my whole name, by the way. So that means that she is able to say he is going to school. I am the guardian. Please let him into school, Right? She also said, if there's any medical emergency, I am Raphael's legal guardian. Please admit him into the hospital. Do the work that you have to do. Legally, she is responsible for me. Legally, she adopted me. And she had access to me. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, man, it's so good. So Jesus adopted you. God adopted you. He has legal right to you. He has legal right to your sickness. (laughs) He has legal right to your education. Ooh, he has legal right to the things that bring fear in your life to get rid of it. Isn't that good? So to paint the picture a little bit more, it was I came to the United States when I was five, and, and I remember this moment. I was at the airport with my grandma, this beautiful woman. I love her so much. I'm wearing these little overalls, have a Snoopy hat. Um, and she comes in, and she's crying. And I didn't know the reason she was crying until, uh, until I got older, but it was because I was no longer going to be living with her. I was going to be living with my mom here in the States, right? And so she's crying because we had built such a deep relationship with, with, with each other that she was like, I, I don't know if I can trust anybody else taking care of my beloved son. Isn't that so beautiful? And something about that exchange was so powerful because we still stay connected to this day. I call her every day. Um, I, I, I'm planning to go see her. After that, I went every summer, every single year. It was very interesting because what was transported into me? What, what did she put inside of me? I don't know. What, what, what created that connection? Oh, good. That's so good. I didn't have the answer. That's really good. Love. I love that a lot. It was a piece of her from her heart into my heart. Isn't that kind of what God did with us? He put his whole spirit inside of us. He put a piece of him into us. And we'll talk about how he did it. But before we get there, when I came here to the States, I, I, I was introduced to my stepfather. It was so funny because my mom was like, this is your dad. Say, hey, dad. And I'm like, bro, I don't even know you. And then I realized that's when I started, you know, needing healing in the moment. Uh, but anyways, anyways, it was supposed to be a joke, but you guys didn't laugh. Okay, so <laughs> either way, I was like, I can't call this dude father. I don't know you. How many of us are like, Father, Father, we don't hear anything. Do you know him? Right? And it's crazy because my mom, even though she gave birth to me, I also didn't know her. Because I spent the most time in my upbringing with my grandma. Right? So even though my mom has legal right to me, I don't know her. Kind of how sin had legal right on us. But then there was a grandma for picture, our grandma, God, he's, I mean, he's old, right? So <laughs> it was God, and he said, I have legal custody over him now. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And I did it all because I love him. I didn't have to do it. I chose to do it, right? It was so crazy what this legal document can do. 
literally my father did, hadn't wrote the custody papers up. So he technically legally wasn't my father. So he couldn't even sign permission slips. I couldn't even go to the national zoo to see pandas because legally he didn't have a right to me. Mm. But my grandma, even though she felt far away, I could send that permission slip to her by FedEx. <laughs> she could sign it, send it back, and I can legally go on this field trip because she's my guardian. Are you guys with me? So it doesn't matter how far away we feel God is, he always has legal right to us because he adopted us, because he never gave up on us, he never left us, he never renounced us, he never quitted, he adopted us. And what comes from that is the opposite of fear, which is confidence. Say confidence. Okay, you guys still good? Uh, We still got some time, let's hit it, man, let's do it. Let's go to Mark 14. Yay. Okay, before we start reading Mark 14, I just, I just want to paint another picture. Again, it's all my grandma because she's the best representation I have for not, never feeling alone, even though she's not right next to me. And uh, <laughs> stuff happens in our life because we live in this world, right? And um, I remember every year I would go see my grandma for the summer and I was with my cousins and I have tons of cousins, like 50 something cousins. And anyways, we're playing tag. I'm it because I was the smallest dude. And one cousin is running through this alley, right? So I'm back in Guatemala. He's running through this alley and I'm chasing him. He's so fast. He's gone. And I'm there alone. Say alone. I turn around and there's a pack of dogs and it's a third world country, stray dogs. And they all just come out. And I was like, oh, my God, now that I'm older, that's Satan right there. (laughs) They were not my dog, Moo Moo. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to kill me. And I was like, what do I do? In this place of fear, I ran away. How many of you guys run away when fear comes? Oh, okay. So fear came. I start running. What happens when you start running away? It chases you. Why? Because they smell. How come they smell the fear off of you? There is no more. But what happens when you show up and you have confidence? What happens to those animals? They run, right? Or they calm down. They become obedient to every word that comes out of your mouth. Okay. So I was alone. And these dogs are chasing me and I start running. And I am running as fast as I can. At this point, I'm like seven years old and I'm running for my life. I'm literally running out of town. Like I see the sign and it says, you're leaving this town. (laughs) And I'm running, I'm running. I look back and I see these dogs trying to chomp at me. And they're like right on my heel. And now, you know, I went through psychology or whatever. And I found out that you have a flight or fight. And then it turns on and you do your thing. Well, I turned into Superman right there. I was gone. Like I was out running a pack of dogs and literally dust. Like I'm leaving them in the dust. And I was like, God, thank you so much. You know, anyway, so I run out of town. I turn around and I'm still alone. The dogs are no longer there, but the fear of them is still haunting me. So I'm walking back into town and I see a little chihuahua at this moment. It's literally like three seconds after these dogs are back. I see a little chihuahua. He wasn't part of the pack. He was very cute now that I look at him. But fear had become so much bigger. The bondage of fear had a hold on me. And I thought that Chihuahua can kill me. Isn't that so silly? The heebie-jeebies was bigger than me. Terror was bigger than me. You guys still catching? To the point that I would jump. I saw the Chihuahua and I jumped real fast into this bed of rocks full of thorns. Right? And I'm sure there's a prophetic thing there, right? But what you don't understand is in Guatemala, those are prime um, homes for venomous snakes. 
And this cowboy was like, hey, get out of there. This snake's going to kill you. And I literally looked him in the face and I said, I'd rather face a snake that can kill me than that dog. Because fear was so big in that moment. That memory of loneliness when I had to handle something alone was so much bigger that I was willing to let something else kill me for the sake of not confronting it because I had no confidence. Anybody ever been there before? When other people are like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just such a wow, wow. And you're literally sleeping with snakes. And it's because we're handling it alone. But I'll tell you what, though, my legal guardian was looking for me because she was like, he's been gone for hours. All my cousins are like, we can't find Rafa. Something about Chihuahua, right? <laughs> Little did I know I faced the biggest thing in my life, you know? Uh, uh. Anyways, so then I'm standing here in this bedrock risking the snake killing me. Here comes my grandma. Her name is Mama Ruth. Say Mama Ruth. I love you guys. I felt the love. And she comes, she's wearing her little sandals. She's a little lady. I'm way bigger than her. But she comes and she's like, come here. And just like Peter, I walked. (laughs) I came to her. She held me. And all of a sudden, that chihuahua meant nothing to me. Isn't that crazy? Because I was with the person that adopted me. So now the thing that used to bring so much fear and terror and bondage was nothing. I'm like, my guardian is here. What are you going to do? And there was many instances afterwards where we were walking around, dogs would literally come and start barking like rabies was coming out of them. But my guardian was there and she would come and she's like, get out of here. And with the authority that she had, the dog would run away. But it was because I was with my guardian. Confidence came because I was no longer alone. I was legally righteous. Are you guys still catching the picture that I'm trying to paint for you guys. So if that can happen with the old lady, my grandma, what, what, what happens with Jesus? What happens with God? What happens with the Holy Spirit when he imparts his spirit into our spirit and he says, you no longer are bound by terror, the opposite of confidence, but instead you have been adopted and I'm never leaving you, I'm never forsaking you. What happens in those moments? You guys still Okay. It got a little cold in here. Now, now you want me to go and turn it off, don't you? <laughs> All right, hold tight. Don't fall asleep, okay? All right, so I, I really wanted to read the gospel, right? Because we read it for Easter, we read it for Christmas, but there's something powerful about the gospel when we just read it just for reading it. And, and it was great because I started reading it and I was like, that's righteous, that's what you did for me? You did that so fear can no longer hold me down. You did that so I can never feel alone. So that means yesterday when I was freaking out about my finances, even though, it had, even though we're fine, that was an invitation for me to go to my guardian to say, hey, you are fine. And all of a sudden peace came. It surpassed my understanding. And it looked like Jesus going to the cross. All right, but before we go there, I love this moment in Mark 14. It's just such a beautiful moment. Mark 14, verse three. Actually, no, we'll read it. We'll read the whole thing. After two days, it was the Passover. Say Passover. And the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes thought how they might take him, Jesus, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, let there be an uproar of the people. This is so beautiful right here, okay? And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So funny, we were just talking about lepers. As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spick and nerd. Then she broke the flask and poured it on Jesus's head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Before we keep going, I, this, is this, this, this person is actually Mary 
And, and the writer Mark here says that this Mary is actually the same Mary that is sisters to Martha, right? It's the same Mary that while Martha was working real hard, she was sitting at the teacher's feet. And it's so funny that she comes and the way that she worships him is by pouring it on his head all the way down to his feet. It's like, if we're willing to humble ourselves and bow down low, there's a song like the autumn wind blows. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if we bow ourselves low, if we humble ourselves, we reach the head. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I love this. Verse six, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the proof with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. Always have the poor. Sorry, there was a glare here. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And I find that so powerful that how did Mary know that she was anointing Jesus for burial? Was it because she decided to humble herself and sit at his feet? Even when other people are saying, why are you doing that? That's so dumb. We should be doing this instead. But this level of intimacy that Mary had with Jesus led to a place where she actually got revelation and came to a place where she was working with God rather than working against God or not doing anything at all. Did that make sense? There's something that happens when we're like, God, I know nothing. Can I sit at your feet? I don't know what righteousness looks like. Can I sit at your feet until, we, until you express to me what it actually looks like? And then he's like, this is what righteousness looks like and this is how I want you to express it. And other people are gonna think it's wrong. Other people are gonna think it's crazy, but it doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is me and you making eye contact together because I need this for a bigger purpose. And that bigger purpose looks like you getting me ready to be crucified so I can destroy loneliness in these people's lives. It's such a beautiful moment to me. So do you want understanding? You want revelation? Humble yourself to sit at Jesus's feet. <laughs> okay, uh, before, I think we should read this real quick. Are you guys still okay? All right, John 13. Let's go to John 13 real quick, okay? I just really want to read that part about Mary because I thought it was so beautiful. Like you pursue intimate with a person and then that person gives you their full understanding. You pursue intimate with God. You, you, you pursue intimate with Jesus. You might feel like you're not getting anything right away. Other people are like, you don't know anything. But then what happens at the most important, crucial time is you did exactly what was needed to be done. And then some. Oh, it's so beautiful to me. Okay, so I just want to read this part right here. So, so, then what happened is they went to a Passover dinner. Actually, before we go to John 13, let's read the Passover part. It's 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large upper room 
Woo! Furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. I love that. That's so beautiful. It's funny because uh, that upper room, historians actually believe that's the same upper room where the Holy Spirit fell on them and their lives were changed forever. Isn't that crazy? But before power came, dinner came. (laughs) Before power came, relationship came. Before power came, they had to get their feet washed. 17, in the evening he came with the 12. And it's so funny. You know how we can trust this too? That was actually Mark's house. (laughs) The writer that we're reading about. That was his father's house. Yeah, isn't that crazy? He was just a wee little lad. Watching all this, experiencing all this. Oh, and then he gets to write about it. I think it's so powerful. In 17, in the evening he came with the 12. Now as they sat and ate, say, sit and eat. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? You don't understand. Like the way that they're saying that isn't God, is it I? Humbly. No, they're saying, is it me? Oh my gosh, you're pointing the finger at me. I've done all this for you. That's literally the way that they're saying, is it I? I just, I just wonder if they had humbled themselves in front like Mary did. I wonder if they would have gotten more revelation. But anyways, it it doesn't matter. That's just my thinking. 20, he answered them and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, here we go. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. You don't understand. Bless means for God to be a part of it. That's what the word bless means. There's other definitions, but the one I like right now is God becomes a part of it. So when we say, God, can you bless this dinner? God, can you be a part of this dinner? God, can you bless this service right now? Can you be a part of it? God, can you bless righteousness right now? Can you bless the words that are coming out of the scripture straight into the heart? Can those be blessed? Can they be with you? Can that be you, God? Can it be blessed? When we say we're blessed and highly favored, we don't know what we're saying. We're saying we are with God. We're saying we are righteous. We are no longer alone. When God said, I have blessed you and anointed you for you to go out and spread the gospel, he's saying, I am with you wherever you go, that when dogs come and fear comes and the heebie-jeebies come, you are blessed. I am with you. Do not be afraid. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, <laughs> he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. I love that. It hasn't even happened yet. But he's saying, it's, ah, assuredly I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, like we did, they went to the Mount of Olives. But before we read that, I want to jump right here to John 13. So good, because Mark didn't write this part right here, but I'm I'm glad John did. John, uh, John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, so we can have righteousness. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's talking about his disciples. And I love that because he's saying, these are my best friends. I do not feel alone because I got a chance to spend time with these people. Hold on to that. 
Two, and supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Escarot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Verse seven, Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, oh, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God is with you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I'll tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me and he who receives me, him who sent me. A little confusing, right? Oh, we're almost out of time. So let me just summarize the, we'll come back to that part because that, that's really what this powerful principle is. And the powerful principle is this. For me, God called it honor which means to see the value in something, to reverence something the same way that God does, really to see things the way that God sees things. Are you guys still with me? What happens is there's an opposite of honor and it's called judgment. Judgment technically isn't a bad thing because it's truth. It's something that you're able to see with your eyes. You see something, you judge it good or you judge it bad. The problem is you're judging it by yourself. You guys with me? When you see something by yourself, it is judgment and there is no power behind that. You guys don't like that? It's actually really good. Because what happens is we see somebody and they don't deserve for their feet to be washed. Because in the next chapter, he betrays him. God knows all things. All things have been put into his hands. So Jesus had all right to say, I will not wash your hands. Because the truth is, you're going to betray me. That is judgment. Instead of going into judgment, he goes into honor. He goes, I know you will do these things, but this is the purpose and this is the value that the Father has, has made in you and on you. Okay. In Genesis 1, God created everything. And what was the word that he said after he created everything? It is good. That word good means really good. The picture that they paint with that word is this. It is the value by estimation, okay? The picture is someone (laughs) sitting with a diamond 
and they put the little monocle on, they look at the diamond and they see everything that brings value to that diamond. Okay, another picture is this. It's like a Rolex. I think it's because I saw this on social media earlier. This guy came, he had a Rolex. He can just put it in his hand and he's like, oh, the, the, wrist, the wrist part is fake, but the actual part of it is real. The wrist means nothing, even though it looks like a Rolex. But let's take that part off and we'll have the real piece, right? He had the real piece of the Rolex. He put his little monocle on and he was able to pop the lid and he was able to tell it was a Rolex because of every little bolt and nut, every little screw that was in there. He was like, yup, that makes this roughly a million dollar just for a watch. A guy that knows exactly how it was created, knows every little detail about it, is able to say, this is the value behind this. It is good. So when God sees you, he has his little monocle and he's saying, this is good. When we try to see things without God, we go, that is not good. That's fake. The wrist is fake. This person's fake. Stone him. Don't let him in the church. I can't pray for him. Actually, I should go and punch this person in the face. They're mocking me right now. That's judgment. It's true. They probably did do these things. That thing is fake, but God's like, I don't care about the fake thing. I, think I care about the thing that cost a million dollars. I care about the thing, and, and what I want to do is I want to wash their feet. I want to honor them. I want to bring God's original design to clean them, even though they're getting ready to do something that doesn't define, that, that, that's not right with them. And what happens later, if we keep reading the gospel, Peter's out on the boat and he's depressed because he denied Jesus. But what happened because of honor, because God washed his feet. Jesus shows up after the crucifixion. He dies on that cross, which I, which I love. Uh, stay with me. Remind me about Peter, okay? Because I got five minutes. So what ended up happening is, is Jesus is, is, is going after all of this. He's going after all this. He's praying in Mount Olive and he's praying in the garden where he would meet with his father. And at this point, the, 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 Roman, the, the Jewish people come and they take him away and they bring him to the court. And so, and so everybody starts to, to embarrass him, to spit on him, to hit him, to say, you, you're, you're blasphemy. This isn't true. So that means that all the Pharisees were against him, right? That's one group of people. They take him to the Romans and the Romans do not save him. They're all against them. That's two group of people. The disciples betray him. Nobody comes and stands up for him. That's three group of people. He's taken the cross by himself. He is alone in his moment. And a stranger comes and grabs it, but he doesn't know him. He is alone. And as he's walking, he stops, he turns to this group of mourners, which are these ladies that are crying and they're, they're sad. And he's like, you do, you're not really mourning but you will mourn soon and you're not even going to want children. That's how bad it's going to hurt. And I said, oh my gosh, Jesus, how, how can you roast these women when you're getting ready to go die for them? And, and I was like, what is this? So I started researching a little bit. The history behind it is people would hire these professional mourners to come into the building and mourn for this child that they do not know because they felt so alone. Because back in the Mosaic law, it was you're supposed to mourn for the person that you love. That if you loved, you're supposed to cry because you knew it was real love. When your grandma's saying bye to you in the airport, the, the tears aren't because she's selfish, it's because she loved me. When Jesus wept in the garden, it was because he loved you so much and he loved his disciples so much. He didn't want to leave his best friends. He didn't want to be alone. He wanted to have dinner with them every night, but he knew if he died on the cross, you will never be alone. 
And so he turns to the ladies and he's like, you are not with me. And if you try to act like you're with me, people won't understand that I am doing this so they can never be alone again. I have to literally carry loneliness, the spirit of loneliness, the spirit that's opposite of righteousness, sin, and I got to nail it to the cross and kill it. But you're saying that, (laughs) you're saying that you're with me. And that's okay because you're actually alone and you're faking it. But you won't have to fake it once you see the truth. Once I put sin to death, death, when I put fear to death, when you become adopted because you saw the truth and he gets put on that cross and what happens? He's there. Everybody talks about how he gave his spirit to God. But before that, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And that was the moment he put all of loneliness on him, all the sin on him, all the unrighteousness, everything you have done from beginning to end. He put that thing right on him and he felt separated from the father. Another word is he felt sin. He felt alone for the first time. And then he said, but I still give my spirit to you, God. And then he died. And I love this part. The moon went dark and it looked like the God, the creator of the universe, the one that said that everything is good, the one that made everything. It looked like he had been defeated and embarrassed and humiliated. And he had been. But really, it was an open door to the power of righteousness. That's when Jesus went into hell, defeated loneliness, defeated the enemy, said, you will never again, I will never again let the heebie-jeebies be bigger than my son. I am here to take back my son and my daughter right now. For whenever they accept me, whenever they hear about me and they cry out to me, I will be there. You will not be the father. I would be there. And he came out of hell, had the keys. And in the most embarrassing way, he defeated the enemy. He defeated fear. He became our guardian. He imparted his spirit into us in the most embarrassing way. So sometimes it feels very embarrassing to honor something that doesn't deserve honor, but is actually introduction to power. You become just like Jesus when you wash people's feet and honor them rather than judging them by the thing that you see. You actually destroy loneliness in their life. You guys still with me? So then we look at Peter's life. And, oh, but before we keep going, it was very crazy because as the, as the sun went dark, it said that everybody stopped. They were mocking him and they stopped and they all became sad and they all became to mourn. And the, it says, literally it says this, that the woman all the way in the back saw him and became to mourn and they turned around and started to beat their breasts in which they never had children. I know it's so crazy, but it means that they were actually with Jesus now. That means that their mourning was real. That means that if there's an opportunity for mourning, then there's an opportunity for joy. And he did all that just because he loves you. He literally died so you can never be alone again. He literally put loneliness on the cross and killed it so we can be righteous with him, so we can be with him together forever. Are you guys okay? And I think my time is up, so I just want to reread this part. And it's Romans 8, 
Verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, those are sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption. Let me tell you when Peter got adopted again, he was on the boat hanging with his snakes because <laughs> he was afraid to be on land and he's on water. And I love the picture that Jesus showed me. What he told me was, he was like, if you were out there in a boat, you'll be hoping for me to show up so you can walk on water again. And instead he decided to get vulnerable and get naked because he had seen Jesus far away, took off all his garments, jumped in the ocean and swam to him. And Jesus didn't meet him with condemnation. Jesus met him with breakfast. And they ate and Jesus did exactly what he did when he washed his feet. This time he washed his heart. And he said, I know you've denied me three times. So I'm gonna honor you three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my lambs. The third time he asked them, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? And this time he wept. And he said, I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. And it's such a beautiful moment because Jesus could have been like, the truth is you betrayed me and I'm leaving you out to die. But instead, Jesus honored him and said, this is actually what I want you to do. This is the value that you have. I want to wash your heart the same way I washed your feet. And I also want to make you a powerful, influential person. All right, so close your eyes for me. If there's any place that you feel lonely or you're doing things alone, can you just let Jesus come and wash your feet? Can you just let him come and wash your heart, wash that away? Can you let him come and be that guardian that chases away the dogs through every word? Can you let him be the father that adopted you, that never gave up on you, that never left you, that never renounced you, that never quit on you? And whatever that area is, if it's your whole life, that's good. Give him your whole life. If it's your finances, let him do that. If it's, if it's you being at home with your family, let him do that. Let him wash that away. Let him wash that fear away. Just how he did with Peter. See that loneliness being crucified, being put on that cross and let it die <laughs> and let him live in you. If you could just trust him. Because the power comes not when you let, when you, when you think God sees you a certain way, it's when you see yourself the way that God sees you. When you can go and wash other people's feet because he washed yours and you look down and you're like, my feet are clean, your feet should be clean too. Let me show you how it's done. This is how the father cleaned mine and they're clean. So Holy Spirit, just thank you right now. Thank you for moving. Thank you for dying on that cross for whatever it is that's holding them down right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you show up as their legal guardian and swallow up loneliness right now. Swallow up the opposite of sin. Swallow up sin. Swallow that up right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.